All right. Well, we've got uh, lots of good things happening. Obviously, it's Christmas, and uh, Christmas brings somewhat uh, busyness, I think, as well. But we don't want to lose the whole point of, uh, of getting uh, focused on Jesus and the joy of Christmas. But uh, we've got some, uh, I've got some special announcements, uh, changes, uh, things that are happening uh, that uh, I want to start off with by uh, getting you all up to speed on what's been happening uh, uh, let me preface it this way. Uh, we started this church uh, out of the Framingham uh, Vineyard Church. Uh, I think it was like uh, 18 years ago. And uh, recently the pastor at the Framingham Vineyard Church resigned. And so they've uh, gone through a, a quarter now uh, without a pastor. And uh, they're looking to regroup. And, um, and Jeff and Aureli Biggers are going to be going over to Framingham uh, starting January the 1st to be their uh, interim pastors. Their primary uh, goal is going to be to help Framingham uh, find a permanent lead pastor. So uh, they're going to be out there from uh, from January the 1st until at least, uh, you know, if they find somebody quickly, great, but they're going to be there at least until the end of May. And uh, and so that's the, that's the short-term plan. So I want Jeff Norelli to come up here uh, just for one or two of you to, uh, you know, maybe you don't know them or maybe you just joined the church recently and uh, just so that you can see them. And then Look, tonight we've got the Christmas party. Aureli's done all the hard work for that. And uh, uh, if you haven't paid, I'm sure Aureli will hunt you down. <laughs> and uh, if you don't help uh, transform the church with tables, I'm sure Aureli will hunt you down. But uh, I did want you to just uh, see Jeff and Aureli. So at the Christmas party tonight, you can talk to them. And then in two weeks' time, we're going to have a, a, a launch off uh, service where we'll be praying for them. Uh, but rather than try and do that all in, like, you know, announce it and send them all off in one quick shot, uh, we'll do it in two weeks' time. But been a lot of uh, dialogue and discussion, and Jeff and, and uh, Aureli are moving out and moving in to Framingham, uh, is, but staying in the, they're still staying in a stay in uh, Hopkinton. But they won't be with us. That's, that's the point. Um, so thanks, uh, Jeff and Aureli, and we'll bless you guys uh, soon. And uh, Ari, I want you to come up here so everybody can see your face. Uh, uh, Ari is going to be taking over as our youth leader. Um, and so this is Ari. And I wanted to introduce uh, Ari to you. Uh, Jeff and Ari have actually been uh, working together uh, through youth group because Ari's from New Hampshire, part of the Vineyard Church up there, and has been involved in youth activities uh, with all the youth events. So actually, uh, Jeff recommended Ari to me, and uh, then we had the privilege of getting to know Ari and meet his parents and uh, go see their church uh, up in New Hampshire, the Vineyard Church up there. And so Ari's actually uh, moved down here, and he's going to be starting with us uh, in as the youth leader. So very part-time. Ari's, like many of you guys, an IT guy. Uh, and so he's going to be, uh, you know, working weekends uh, for church and working IT during the week. But he has a name to the face. All right, thanks for, for being here with us. <laughs> uh, 
it's never a good thing when I pick up my notes and I realize I'm missing page one. That's a <laughs> but I, I, I do want to say this. Uh, if you've got um, that little booklet that goes along, I guess I'm missing that too. This is going to be a great, uh, a great service. <laughs> I did get a prophetic word once from somebody uh, at the national conference. Uh, the guy doesn't know me at all. and was a guy from South Africa, of all things. And the guy says to me, I, 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 I think the Lord has a word for you. And, and he said to me, essentially, uh, you need to do less preaching from uh, practice or from prep and just do more spontaneous preaching. Well, that was like, I don't like that word at all. It's like, <laughs> you know, for many people, they'd be like, oh, great, I can just stand up there and jibber-jabber forever. And I'm like, no, I... So anyway, maybe this is the Lord getting me in the, in the, in the rhythm, just like throw my notes away. But uh, if you've got the little uh, booklet that Bernadette was talking about, it's going to be a great companion to what I'm preaching. I'm not following that, uh, that booklet. Uh, I am going to actually use the titles uh, and uh, follow the theme, but I'm not following the content of the booklet. So it'll be very helpful. It'll be, very, uh, it'll be a great complement to what, what I uh, want to talk about uh, here for, um, for the series. But uh, today's message from the booklet, I'm titling, The Heart Comes Home uh, to Hope. And, uh, you know, there's something in the way God has designed us that uh, we derive hope uh, and there's a sense we get that when we sort of come home. So I don't know what your Thanksgiving was like, but uh, for many people, Thanksgiving is a weekend which they really enjoy for the simple reason that the focus on Thanksgiving is giving thanks around a big, great big meal and it's a family-focused you know, event and uh, if your family's not dysfunctional, that's just like really great, you know. And if it is dysfunctional, then, you know, oh, I don't know what to tell you. But the idea is it's, a, it's the holiday that most people like. And then uh, when we come to Christmas, uh, one of the reasons why people prefer Thanksgiving to Christmas is that Christmas becomes very busy. And uh, instead of being relaxed and enjoying great quality family time, uh, we find ourselves being diverted, uh, often with good things, you know, with gifts and with whatever, but we become so busy that the, the joy of the, the, of the holiday is taken away from us, and we shouldn't. So, you know, part of us as believers should be fighting against busyness during this season, even though we've got parties and even though we've got many functions to tend to, which is the reason why we shut down our life groups during this time period, because we don't want busyness to rob us of that sense of joy uh, that we should have over, over Christmas. Now, there is something in our hearts that uh, is like, it warms our hearts. There's a sense of hope when we reconnect and revisit family. Uh, but like the Thanksgiving weekend or your family Christmas plans, you don't always want family to kind of just stay and stay and stay. You know, I don't know what the magic number is, but there's something like you come back and you have a good time and then you go, you, you know, you move on again. I mean, that's just like what it should be. So there's something in us, though, that's drawing us back. And it might not only be Thanksgiving. It might not only be Christmas, although it absolutely should be. And as we're going to be looking at Jesus, how this should be a sense of renewing our hope and our joy during this season. 
for many, uh, you know, you'll go back to a reunion and you'll say, wow, I really, uh, you know, want to reconnect with my class or uh, whatever it is because there's something bringing good memories uh, back and you revisit the friends and, you know, you share those memories and then you move on. There's something in our heart which the way God has designed us is to go back, reflect, enjoy the moment, uh, you know, look at what has happened and then move on, go forward. And I think that's what God has put in our heart. He's, he's given us a place, uh, whether we recognize it or not, that we do well when we reconnect with God. There's a place in our heart that God and only God can fill. There's a sense of joy and peace and satisfaction that God is desiring to give us. And it's up to us to kind of make the effort to get in God's presence and invite His presence and enjoy that uh, connection that He wants to have with us. And so, you know, over this uh, next few weeks, these next few Sundays, I want to be re-looking at this great story of the birth of Christ and the, the ramifications of that uh, to us. Because this story is on so many levels. Uh, on one level, it's just a, a great kid story that, you know, the, the baby Jesus and, and it's all about the baby and it's very cute and cuddly and little animals. And on the other hand, there's this unbelievably rich, deep and complex uh, story. So I want us to, uh, I want us to jump into that and uh, and and look at that. But let me just uh, let me just let me just pray. Uh, Jesus, we just invite your presence right now to this service. I just pray you'd calm our hearts, Lord, that you would uh, re-energize us as we draw close to you. Uh, Jesus, I just pray that uh, you would give us uh, every precious gift that we need during this Christmas season. Each one of us, Lord, needs something and something different from you. And Lord, we just ask you, whether it be joy, peace, hope, uh, personal relationship with you, uh, Lord, you know what our needs are. And we just ask you, Lord, for the free gift that you give us. And Lord, I just pray today, maybe for the first time somebody comes to know you, uh, Lord, I pray today for those that know you but have kind of drifted away from you. And Lord, I, I pray specifically for our youth and for our millennials, Lord, that you would really just empower them and infuse them, Lord, with an excitement and a zeal that you just love to pour out in that age group. So Lord, I just welcome your Holy Spirit to be here and empower my preaching uh, in your name, Jesus. Amen. Let's, uh, let me just open with um, a traditional, a classic uh, Christmas story found in the New Testament in Matthew uh, about the birth of Jesus. Uh, but the thing I want you to listen to and focus on is a connection to the Old Testament, to a, a prophecy uh, of Jesus being fulfilled in this Matthew's account. And the prophecy is the prophecy of, of Emmanuel. Uh, God telling the Jewish people at the most like bizarre time, which we're going to look at, uh, it just seems in the Old Testament very out of context, and we're going to look at that, of God promising to send 
Jesus. And he's saying Emmanuel, which is God with us. And, and, and so I want to try and put those pieces together uh, this morning. But it says this in Matthew uh, chapter 1, uh, verse 18. And I'm reading from the New Living Translation. This is how Jesus, the Messiah, was born. And, you know, again, I love telling the story. Uh, Easter and Christmas are these times when we can look at the, the story uh, of God and of, of Jesus. This is the story. This is how Jesus, the Messiah, was born. His mother, Mary, was engaged to be married to Joseph. But before the marriage took place, while she was still a virgin, she became pregnant through the power of the Holy Spirit. Joseph, her fiancé, was a good man and did not want to disgrace her publicly, so he decided to break the engagement quietly. As he considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. Joseph, son of David, the angel said, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child within her was conceived by the Holy Spirit, and she will have a son. And you are to name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this occurred to fulfill the Lord's message through his prophet. Look, the virgin will conceive a child. She will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. Now that prophecy was given like 650 odd years before it happened. I mean, you know, so here's this announcement. It's, it's filled with both the kiddie story. You know, it's like, okay, you've got Mary and you've got to have a baby born. And then it's filled with like, you know, miraculous stuff, stuff which is incomprehensible. Like how does a virgin have a baby? And then it's filled with, you know, historical accurate facts of, okay, there really was a king at this particular time and there really was a prophecy made and this really was foretold. Uh, and then it all comes together with the birth of Christ. So anyway, when Joseph woke up, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded and took Mary as his wife, but he did not have sexual relations with her until her son was born. And Joseph named him Jesus. Uh, so uh, this great story of you know, obedience to God, the mystery of God, and uh, there's just a lot of relevance uh, to us personally. But what I want to do uh, before we jump into this is look at the big story because the birth of Jesus is the part of God's plan for you and I, for humanity. And what's exciting about this is, you know, I don't know where we are in the progression, but let's just say we're three quarters of the way through. Like God has told us what's going to happen. A lot of things have happened. He predicted a lot of things would happen like Jesus uh, coming, uh, but he's also predicted a whole bunch of stuff which hasn't yet happened, and we, uh, we, we live in this anticipation of the return of Christ. So what shouldn't be lost on adults, it can totally be lost on kids, is that Christmas, there's a, like a double celebration. The one celebration is the birth of Christ. That's the obvious one. That's like the kid version. We, we, we get it. Uh, but the adult version is we anticipating the prophecies about Christ returning. You know, we're living in the time, if you would, uh, just like the Jewish people were before Jesus was born, where 
hey, there's all these expectations. The Messiah is going to come. The Messiah is going to come. And the Jews are like, right, today, tomorrow, like soon. And even the Apostle Paul, it's going to happen like any time. Like, you know, and then like it hasn't happened. And just like the prophecy that Isaiah, which we're going to look at, uh, gave King Ahaz and uh, those that were listening to him, you know, I'm going to send Emmanuel. Well, it had like nothing to do with Ahaz. It was like 600-something years later. And similarly, uh, God has said, Jesus is coming again. And we're like, yeah, like some point, he's coming again. And this, this, there should be this anticipation, this excitement that Jesus, come. I mean, like, come soon. I mean, like, you know, the world's a mess. And, and it's really great when your presence is here and when you're ruling. And there's this desire for perfection and for us to live in peace and enjoy without any problems, you know, without the sicknesses and death and all the, the things that we have to deal with and dysfunctionality of, you know, families and all this sort of stuff. We, we're gonna, we, we look forward to this harmony. And uh, so that's, that's the big picture. But uh, let me just paint it from, you know, God's perspective as best as I, as I can. God created Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. Now, for some people, this is like the most fictitious story. It's like, you know, long, long ago in some other place, blah, blah. But what God is doing with, with Adam and Eve, he's saying, look, I'm putting you in perfect uh, creation where everything is working, where everything's, you know, as God is creating earth, he's saying it's good. He's saying it's good. It's good. It's really good. And what's really good is Adam and Eve, humanity has perfect relationship with God. And God is enjoying perfect relationship with Adam and Eve. And then there's sin. There is disobedience. There's turning away from God. Now this story is fundamental to understanding God's nature and what God is up to. Uh, so as Adam and Eve rebel against God, there is this rapid downward spiral, Cain and Abel, you know, murder, dysfunctionality, uh, distancing from God, and it spirals downward quickly. So in other words, you remove God from our lives, you ignore God, and let everybody do what they want to do. It gets bad quickly. And then again, God intervenes with Abraham uh, in chapter 12 of Genesis. And it's God's initiation. He says, look, I'm going to reveal to Abraham who I am. And Abraham, being the man of faith, he responds. And for the most part, Abraham's life is, is a great man of faith. And so Abraham is living out in obedience to God, and things are going really well. And God is, is, makes a whole bunch of promises to Abraham. He says, look, uh, I'm going to have a whole nation come through you. You're going to be the blessed person. Going to, you're going to have so many like descendants. They're going to be more numerous than the sand and the stars. And, and anyway, uh, after Abraham, all his descendants start like degenerating. I mean, there's like less and less interest in, in God and more and more interest in living their own way. And the next tragic part of God's story, now we're talking about history. We're not talking about like some make-believe thing is the Jewish people, the Hebrews, were slaves in Egypt. And God again, he says, okay, I'm going to reach out, not because humanity has done anything good, but because God loves people and has a plan for this earth. And he says, okay, I'm going to reach out and I'm going to save these people. 
I'm going to take them out of Egypt, not being slaves, and I'm going to take them to the promised land, and I'm going to get them into the promised land, and it's going to be really good. And so you got the whole story of Exodus, and then you got Moses, and again, Moses responds uh, in faith and believes God and, and does, for the most part, you know, like a really great job leading the people out. And for the most part, the people really complain and have better ideas. Uh, and, you know, we just always think we're smarter than God. And we always think that, like, our needs and our desires, nobody else has ever had them before. And it's just really unique to us. And, and we just have to do it our way. And God keeps saying, if you really want to have a wonderful, blessed life, do it God's way, my way. And we keep saying, yeah, yeah, a bit of that. But we kind of know better than you, God, and we'll do it our way. And you just see this thing, like, unfold and Finally, they get to the promised land, and it's just been a, a, a massive battle. And then when they're in the promised land, it really goes badly. Uh, you know, I, I think the best word to capture would be syncretism. Now, I can describe syncretism separately, but it's this idea of saying, I believe in you, God, but you know what? I also believe in, like, your God and that God and any other thing that I want to believe in. It's not believing in God alone. And there's plenty of syncretism happening like today in your life and in others in our lives, you know. But this idea of trusting God uh, solely is a challenge. And I don't know, maybe like a third of the Bible is now devoted to this sort of chapter of history, which is pretty tough reading. And you start reading through all the prophets, and you read through Kings and Chronicles. And, I mean, I don't know, it's like a third of the Bible. I, I, it, and it's... And it's basically, look, God is saying, do it this way. And the people are saying, well, I'll do it this way. And God is saying, look, if you keep messing up, bad things are going to happen. And then they keep messing up and God keeps trying to bail them out and give them another chance, another chance. And finally, he says, look, if you, if you keep doing what you're going to do, I'm going to send another king and you're going to go into exile and you'll be slaves in another foreign land. And even as he warns them, he knows they're going to mess up. And he says, but then I'm going to do something like supernatural, something that's never happened in that time period. While you are slaves and in exile, and remember in those days, the idea of exile was you'd be integrated into other societies so that you were like unrecognizable and therefore wouldn't have any power and wouldn't have any ability to rise up again. He said, I'm going to leave you in exile for 70 years and then I'm going to return you to the promised land. And then this time... Hopefully, you'll get it. And hopefully, you'll worship me. And so they got this whole emphasis. They go into exile, and they got all these promises and, and uh, prophecies. They get back into the promised land, and they just do whatever they've done before. They're just like, okay, we believe in you, God, but we also believe in all these other gods and other things and other ways. And God says, look, I've got, I got a, another plan. And the other plan is Jesus. And he's already warning these folks. This is the interesting thing. God's big plan, as I've said so often, God is large and in charge. No matter what uh, happens, God's plans are going to win and prevail in the end. Uh, the mystery and the delight for you and I is to partner with God and to try and figure out as much as we can about God. And so the mystery and the wonderfulness of this is before they even go into exile, God is saying, I'm going to be sending Jesus, but I'm going to send you in exile. You're going to come back and you're going to reject me, but I'm going to give you every opportunity not to reject me. And if you don't reject me, it really go well. But 
you're going to reject me. And, but I've got another plan. <clears throat> it's a new covenant. It's a whole new deal. I'm going to send Jesus. And then part of that, and this is where, and in fairness to Jewish people reading the Old Testament today, it is very um, confusing to read the, some of these prophecies and you're asking yourself, did this already happen? Uh, is this still going to happen? Uh, and some of these prophecies you have to read on like two levels. Like, okay, it meant something to the people on that day and it's already happened. And some of them, it's still going to happen. And so you have a mixture, like in, often in short measure of, okay, I'm promising Jesus, but I'm also promising the return of Jesus. And, you know, you read this and like, how do I figure this all out? So we live in a day and we ex celebrate Christmas saying, okay, God has sent his son, somebody that is him. It's so personal to reveal himself not only to the Jewish people, but to the nations. And God is simultaneously saying, but Jesus is going to die. The birth of Jesus you know, wasn't the highlight. The highlight was the death and resurrection of Jesus. But of course, it's got to start with the birth. So we start and celebrate the birth. But we're saying, God, we anticipate your son Jesus coming back uh, and ruling. Uh, and that should be a big part of our hope and our joy uh, as we move into, into this season. So <clears throat> let me uh, jump back now into the Old Testament. And as is always the case with preaching in the Old Testament, because it's a time period and a culture which we're not familiar with, you need like so much time just to set it up and get it in context. And uh, that's what I <clears throat> am hoping I've done. And I want to look at uh, chapter 6 and chapter 7 of Isaiah. Uh, in chapter 7, we have this historical context. <clears throat> Excuse me. It says this, when Ahaz, and then it gives like who his parents are and his grandparents are, he was the king of Judah. And then there was another king, King Rezin of Syria and Pekah uh, of Israel. So you've you got a historical context. And folks, this is one thing that makes the Bible, with all world religions, completely unique. It's based in historical fact. There's, you know, there were real kings uh, in a real place. Uh, there really was a place called Syria, still is. Uh, not much left of it now, but, you know, it's still Syria and Israel. And these areas, uh, they're not fictitious. You know, contrast it, say, to the Book of Mormon. You know, some place upstate New York, I mean, it's the name of some cities which, like, have never yet been found. You know, it's, like, fictitious. Or if you look at Islam, okay, you've got, you know, Prophet Muhammad, okay, he was a historical fact uh, person, but there's no reference to other kings and, you know, predictions and past uh, places that you can put it into context or uh, you know so here we have in the bible something that's like factually happened you can go back in time and say they really were these kings i mean it's a it's kind of like a big deal because it gives us hope when god says this is what i'm planning to do in the future that it's going to come to be uh, it gives us a lot of uh credibility versus saying you know okay i've, I've got a whole bunch of 
prophecies that are made that have no historical context, but you know, going to be something in the future, that doesn't hold as much weight as when it's in place in history. Now, here's what I want to focus on. And the first thing I want to focus on is how Isaiah, the prophet, responds to God. This is uh, Isaiah chapter 6, and it's a sort of an interesting way the, the prophet is set up because normally, uh, you know, the, in the opening paragraphs of the books of prophets, prophets would be who the prophet is, where he comes from, and, you know, whatever. But Isaiah takes six chapters uh, before we see how Isaiah responded to God. And uh, it goes like this. Uh, he has a strong encounter with uh, supernatural, not superficial, supernatural beings. He has an encounter with the living God. And that encounter transforms him. And it's the same pattern that happens for you and for me. When we have an encounter with the living God, there is something which transforms us. There's a sense where we are like drawn home. There's a sense that, okay, this makes sense, and I'm feeling warm, I'm feeling loved, I'm feeling God's love. This connects. It doesn't mean to say that things are going to be easy. It just sense that this is, this is right. So Isaiah has this dramatic uh, encounter with, with God. And then he said, in verse 8, it says this, Then I heard the Lord saying, asking, Whom should I send as a messenger to this people? Who will go for us? And Isaiah famously responds, Here I am, send me. And then God says, Great. Okay, now let me just explain to you, Isaiah, how wonderful your ministry is going to be. Everybody's going to bless you. They're going to give you a lot of money. They're going to worship you. You're going to drive around in the best chariots. You're going to live in a castle. It's going to be awesome. I mean, ministry is going to be such... Oh, no, I'm sorry. I got away, carried away here, but... It doesn't say that at all. It says this. It says, whom should I send? Isaiah says, send me. He's like, I've, I've just had this awesome experience with you, God. I'm, I'm so excited. Send me. And then God says, great. Listen carefully, but do not understand. Huh? Watch closely, but learn nothing. Well, that's not feeling so good anymore, God. Harden the hearts of these people. Plug the ears. Shut their eyes. That way they will not see with their eyes, they will not hear with their ears, nor understand with their hearts, and turn to me for healing. And then Isaiah says, Lord, how long is this going to go on for? And then God replies, until their towns are empty, their houses are deserted, the whole countryside is a wasteland, until the Lord has sent everyone away, and the entire land of Israel is deserted. Oh, great. The good part of Isaiah, he doesn't quit. He doesn't say, okay, God, I'll change my mind. I no chariots, no, no, you know, no fancy houses. No. He says, God, I just had this incredible experience with you. I feel like connected to you. Yeah, send me. This is a brutal like call. And then we have our first little prophecy. Well, pretty big prophecy. It says, even if a tenth, a remnant survive, I will... I will uh, it will be invaded again and burnt. Talking about Israel. Uh, beneath the terebinth of the oak tree, or oak tree, leaves a stump when it is cut down. But a terebinth or oak tree leaves a stump when it is cut down. So Israel's stump will be a holy seed. I mean, this is like weird cryptic language. You know, basically God is saying, listen, everybody's going to get wiped out. I'm going to 
move everybody from this land. There's going to be a stump left. But normally stumps died. But actually that stump is going to be a holy seed. Something awesome is going to come out of like nothing, out of desolateness of cut down tree. And then God sets the stage. And then uh, chapter 7, we got King Ahaz. And King Ahaz is, is like this king of Judah. And there's been a long history of kings. Israel, so nation of Israel divided northern territory, southern territory, the southern territory called Judah, the north called Israel. Israel at this point is like abandoned God, and God has abandoned Israel. And the southern part, Judah, has been a little bit more faithful, and God is hanging on with them, and they sort of hanging on with God. But now is the turning point. King Ahaz has just been wicked. And uh, God is like, okay, this is the hinge point. This is the turning point. This is when uh, it's all going to happen. And so uh, we have this wonderful uh, explanation of what's going on. But God is uh, speaking to Ahaz, and he says, Ahaz, what's up? And Ahaz, Ahaz is now trembling. All of a sudden, his good plans have not worked out too well. And the reason he's trembling, I mean, he's like petrified. He's petrified because the surrounding nations are about to attack him. And so... You know, in a king's life, you just don't want to be attacked. You want to have a good life, and you want to attack others, and you want to plunder them, and you don't want to be attacked. I mean, that's sort of the, the deal. So now uh, Ahaz, wicked king, realizes that God's not going to be with him and protect him, and uh, he's going to be attacked. And so he's desperate for help. And so God now interacts with him through Isaiah, and he says to this guy, he says, go tell Ahaz, Tell him that those two kings that you're so petrified and worried about, they like burnt out embers. They're not even worth considering or worrying about. You know, get a life. I mean, trust in me and don't worry about these other nations that are threatened to kill you. And, and uh, Ahaz is basically, no, 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 no. I can see the enemy. I can't see you, God. The enemy is very real. You don't seem to be that real. I'm petrified about these guys. Okay, now in that context, we get this unbelievable strange and weird prophecy the strange part is isaiah says to king sends him to the king and says ask the king to ask me anything like as a test because god wants to prove to ahaz that he really is real and that he really does love him and that he really is trying his best to support him if only ahaz would like yield to god and so they have this confrontation with the prophet and Isaiah, and Isaiah says to him, okay, ask God for anything. And now all of a sudden, Ahaz becomes the, like the religious guy. You know, it's like when i having a nice conversation with somebody and they say, well, what do you do for work? And I say, I'm a, I'm a pastor. Oh, then all of a sudden they're like super holy and they tell me I often, you know, they go to church or like whatever not. And I'm like, ah, oh, it's terrible. The conversation just died. And in this particular case, it's the same thing. Ahaz now has an encounter with, the, with, the, with, with Isaiah and he's like this rotten soul. And uh, so Isaiah said, ask God anything. He says, oh, no, I couldn't do that. That would be testing God. Oh, that would be, you know, a holy man wouldn't test God. And Isaiah is saying, God is telling you, test me. Ask me anything you like. If you want to ask for a hundred chariots, I'll give you a hundred chariots. Just, oh, no, I'm too holy. And then God says, all right, I'll give you a, pro I'll give you a prophecy. And this is the prophecy. It's so weird. It's so wonderful. He says this. Well, I better read it just so I get it in context. Then Isaiah said, Listen well, you royal family of David. Isn't it enough to exhaust 
human patience, must you exhaust the patience of my God as well? All right then, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Look, the virgin will conceive a child. She will give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel, which means God uh, is with us. By the time the, the child is old enough to choose what is right and reject what is wrong, he will be eating yogurt and honey. For before the child is that old, the lands of the two kings you fear so much will be both deserted. Here's a classic example of trying to interpret this prophecy. So, yeah, it's relevant for them right there. Uh, it's going to happen in 600 plus years time. You know, King Ahaz, God is really not talking to anymore. He's just saying, this is my plan for humankind. You don't want to listen to me. You don't want to work with me. I've got a plan. I'm large and in charge. My plan is going to work and it's going to happen through Jesus. And his name is going to be Emmanuel, God with us. This is the plan. And so there's this hinge point uh, in society, in, in time. And, you know, we, we need to pause uh, as I conclude here and ask ourselves a few questions. The first question as we enter uh, towards Christmas is this. Are you feeling called by God? Is God calling you like Isaiah and to say, okay, I'm looking for you to step up. And with our youth and with our millennials, I tell you, God is calling you guys. And he's saying, will you serve me in the, in the capacity like Isaiah? It, this, is not, this is not a great ministry in terms of uh, adulation and money. It's a great ministry, ministry because you connect with God. And as we approach Christmas and we're giving our gifts to each other, one of the things we're saying, God, I can only give you the gift of my time. I can't even give you the gift of my talent because it's not that great a talent. Only talent of God is the talent you've given me. All I can give you is my obedience. Uh, and for, for some of you, God is asking you, you know, will you serve me? Will you yield to the plans that I have for you? I, 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 I want to use you. But the bigger question that most of us uh, face and we should be asking ourselves at this point is who are you going to trust? Who are you going to trust? Are you going to trust your 401k plan, you know, the Dell new takeover for your jobs or, you know, your lack of jobs uh, for some of you? Uh, or, who are you going to trust? And uh, this is the question that was posed to Ahaz. He says to him, look, you've got these nations pressing down on you. I'm talking to you and I'm God and I want to back you. And then he says in verse uh, chapter 7 verse 9, Israel is no stronger than its capital, Samaria, uh, and Samaria is no stronger than its king, and he says, unless your faith is firm, I cannot make you stand firm. So he's saying to Ahaz, and he's saying to you and I, listen, unless your faith is firm, unless your faith in Jesus is firm, I can't use you. But if your faith in Jesus is firm, the promises and the gifts of God are unbelievable. And so as we uh, approach Christmas, we say, God, I need your gift. You know, help me with your faith, but let my faith be firm so that the gifts that you want to give us, that we can be dependent on you for our livelihood, for our well-being, for a great life, uh, you know, will be dependent on you. So uh, I just want to uh, end there. Uh, God wants to be with us. He's given us Jesus. And uh, the, 
the challenge that we all have over Christmas is not to get so busy that we miss Him. Uh, it's to actually hear the prophets. And the, the prophets twice have said, if you draw near to God, God will draw near to you. Now, this is also a perplexing thought because in Adam's case, in Abraham's case, in Moses' case, in Isaiah's case, God was the one that initiated and reached out. And in Jesus' case, God has given us Jesus to reach out to us. But simultaneously and perplexingly, God is also saying through the prophets, but if we will reach out to God and draw near to God, and we take the initiative, God will respond and draw near to us. And God is saying, when we do that, it's going to really go well with us. And that's the challenge for Christmas. That's the hope. It rises in our hearts when we comprehend that, when we connect with God in that. So let me just uh, uh, close in prayer. God, I just pray that uh, this Christmas season, we can put first things first. And we can put you first. And Lord, that we would give you everything else. Our families, our kids, our concerns about finances, uh, everything else that troubles us and consumes us. We'd give it over to you and we'd ask you to empower us, to guide us, to show us how to manage the affairs of our businesses, of our relationships, of our families. We put it in your hands, God, and we ask you for your help and your empowerment and for your love and your encouragement. And Lord, I just pray for your people that they would be blessed and there'd be a sense of coming home, coming home to you and experiencing your love again and your peace again and your joy again. So Lord, I just pray for your people. In your name, Jesus. Amen.